This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk a little bit about a story that's going to be familiar to probably almost all of us. I want to talk about the story of Joseph from Genesis. And if you're looking to read this story and kind of remind yourself of how it went, or if you're looking to read it for the first time, the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode are from Genesis 37, and then skips a chapter, and then chapter 39 and 40. That's what we're going to be talking about here in this episode. And I want to give a little bit of a maybe refresher course, maybe first time you're hearing this story in a while. And so Joseph, as you probably remember, even if you didn't grow up going to Sunday school or anything, you've heard of probably the, I think it's a musical. I don't, I'm, I don't do musicals, so I'm not 100% sure, but Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? That's a musical, I think. And so you know that there was this guy named Joseph, and he had a fancy multiple colored coat right? That's what we know. If you don't know anything else about him, you probably know that. The reason he had this fancy outfit is because he was his father's favorite son. And especially, you know, my wife and I, we don't have kids, but it's obvious even to someone that doesn't have kids that you don't want to have a favorite child. And I'm sure that those of you who have kids understand that on a way deeper level than I do. And so Joseph, though, even though it doesn't make sense to have a favorite child, was his father's favorite child. And because of this, he gave him this coat that was ornate and it was beautiful and it had multiple colors. And, you know, I want you to remember that this is in an era when getting multiple colors of dye was not as simple as running out to wherever store you go to pick up your ink. He couldn't just go and buy a coat that was made with all these ornate colors already on it because this was something that was significant. To have this coat was an indication that there was something unique and special about you. And so because of this, because of his father's favoritism toward him, Joseph's brothers were not a big fan of him because they knew that obviously their dad preferred him and that bothered him, which totally makes sense. And then we get to the part of this story that doesn't make as much sense kind of on first blush. Uh, Joseph, he has... A dream and his dream is that he and his brothers are out in the field and they've got some uh, bundles of wheat gathered up and all of his brothers bundles of wheat start bowing down to his bundle of wheat and like a typical dream it's pretty weird you know I some people they talk about their dreams they share you know, what was happening when they were unconscious and their brain was kind of in autopilot. But 
I'm not real big into that. Like if you ever see me and try to tell me about one of your dreams, you're going to see my eyes start to glaze over and I'm going to be mentally checked out because I'm not really into that, right? I, I'm like, okay, you, your brain was kind of turned off in some ways. I'm not real interested in what it came up with while you were unconscious. But in the ancient world and in this story especially, people that had these dreams, they were, it was almost more what we would call like a vision because it turns out that these moments were moments when God was communicating to people what was coming next. And so even though when we think of a dream, we don't think of anything with predictive or prophetic power or authority or anything like that, we just think, yeah, when I went to sleep, I was worried about something coming up in the future, so my mind did these really weird things. But he has this dream, and then he tells his brothers, which at first I'm like, man, why would you do that? But then I started thinking, his brothers don't like him because he's his father's favorite, which isn't necessarily his fault. Maybe he kind of plays into it. We don't really know. But they don't like him. And they're jerks to him. And when I think about it from that perspective, I think, yeah, if I was constantly in competition or conflict or dealing with these issues of aggressiveness and whatever you want to describe it as between me and my brothers. And if I had a dream that I thought meant, you know what? One of these days, you guys are going to get what's coming to you. One of these days, you're going to feel like such idiots for treating me the way that you've been treating me because I am going to be the man if I had a dream that I thought meant that and I thought it really actually meant something and was actually going to happen, I could see why Joseph would tell that story of that dream to his brothers to kind of stick it to him. This is what brothers do, right, when there's, when there's tension and frustration and conflict. And he has another dream later where not just what represents his brothers, but the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down to him. And his father heard, he's like, you're saying me too? Like me and your mom? What are you talking about? And so Joseph has these dreams and he's letting people know that his vision for the future or this vision for the future that was given to him, I don't, I don't know the right way to talk about that, is that he's going to be the man and everybody else is going to be, in a straight-up way, under him. And so one day, his father sends him out to check on his brothers. They're uh, out doing their shepherding duties and Joseph goes to find them. And when they see him coming, they see from a long way off, they see that multicolored coat that he's wearing, and it just ticks them off. They see, and they're like, okay, when he gets here, here's the plan. We're going to kill him. One of the brothers convinces him, no, 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 let's, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him down in this pit. 
And his plan was to try to talk his brothers out of this eventually. But while he was gone, his brothers took Joseph out of this pit that they had thrown him into. And they sold him to a traveling group of slave traders or merchants. I don't know that it was only slaves that they traded in, but they sold him as a slave. And then Joseph gets sold from them to a guy in Egypt named Potiphar. He's a hugely important man in Egypt. And Joseph is working for him. And he does such a good job working for him that he eventually gains so much trust from this guy who owns him as a slave that he's basically this guy's right-hand man. He takes care of everything in the home. He takes care of the way that things go in the business. He's, he's just the guy that handles stuff. If you have a problem, you go see Joseph. If someone's coming up with a new plan for a better way to do stuff, it's coming from Joseph. And I, I want to think about that for a moment because we're going to be really highlighting the way that Joseph handles himself in the midst of this slavery and then in the midst of what comes next. So I just want to mention here for a moment, because this is going to parallel what happens next in the story. We don't see Joseph catching himself and saying, you know what, I've, I've been wrongfully enslaved. I've been, not that there's a rightfully enslaved way to go about doing this but even in the midst of how slaves are normally bought and sold and traded and all that he was just stolen by his brothers and sold into slavery and what we don't see in this story but I do think probably was part of Joseph's reality is I'm guessing that especially at the beginning, probably throughout the process, but especially at the beginning, I imagine he had some really, really down days, right? Where he was looking and going, man, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I can't believe this is happening. This is so unfair because that's what we do when we go through unfair stuff in life. But we don't see any of that in the story. But I do think that it's probably not unfair because Joseph was a person like you and I to imagine that he went through for sure a period of that, but probably something that extended and was just, you know, he probably felt that way most days. But in the midst of it, he was doing such good work that he's climbing the ranks. And I want you to think, like I started thinking about if it were me in this situation, I want to let you know that if I was stolen and bought and sold and then I showed up in someone's house and he's like, hey, you're my slave now. You just have to do whatever I tell you and here's what I'm telling you to do. I just want you to know that I would be a bad slave. I would not be trying to 
climb the ranks. Like I would not be a Joseph kind of person in this scenario where he looks and goes, wow, this slave, he's working so hard. He's doing such a good job. He's organizing everything so well. He's really helping me out here. That's not the kind of person I would be. I would be doing the bare minimum that I didn't get punished, but I'm definitely not going above and beyond. I'm not trying to impress this guy who has wrongfully stolen me and thinks he owns me as property. That's not, that's not how I'm wired. And I'm guessing most of us listening relate to that, right? Like you think you're going to buy me and I'm going to be a good return on investment? Uh-uh. I'm going to do the most mediocre crap job of doing all these tasks you give me that I can pretend like I'm trying, but I'm not going to be trying my best for sure. But Joseph, he's rising and climbing these ranks and he finds himself, like I said before, the right hand man to Potiphar. And this story kind of builds over time, but it becomes clear that Potiphar's wife has sexual interest in Joseph. And he kind of turns down the advances uh, the first time that it happens in the story. And she, we don't exactly know, but she kind of handles it or takes it in stride, I guess. But then a second time, she really aggressively goes after him. And he just takes off and he runs away from the situation. Well, she was embarrassed and angry at this, and she made a false rape accusation against Joseph. And you can imagine when Potiphar, the guy he worked for, his master in the story, when he gets home, he's furious. And he puts Joseph in uh, what scripture calls the king's prison. It was a spot where Pharaoh put his prisoners and, you know, I, I looked into it a little bit and can't really tell if it's a, a worse situation or a better situation than your average prison was at the time. But either way, you're in a prison where the king, the pharaoh, keeps his prisoners. And you'd imagine that being thrown into the pharaoh's prison means that the pharaoh is personally invested in your life not going really great, right? And what we see, again, like I said, this parallels what happened before. As a slave, Joseph is doing such good work that he rises to the top. He does the exact same thing in prison. He becomes someone that the prisoners, or the prison guards, I mean, they can kind of look at and go, oh yeah, Joseph, he kind of handles this little, the wing of the prison that he's in. He's just such a good prisoner that we can really trust him and we can just sort of let him handle things. Now, again, I, I want you to think about that. If I'm wrongfully imprisoned, I'm not going to be a model prisoner. I'm not going to be the person that they look and go, man, Alan is just, such, he's such a good prisoner like we can, we can just trust him and put a bunch of stuff in his hands and he'll basically work for us while we've got him here in the prison. But this is what Joseph was doing. And then we find he's going around 
And I don't know if he was going around to check on people or if he was just kind of wandering around the area of the prison that he was in, that he kind of supervised. And in Genesis 40, there's two guys that were thrown in prison. They had previously worked for the Pharaoh. And when Joseph sees them, he notices that they seem upset. This is Genesis 40, verse 6. These two guys had both just had dreams the night before, which again, you see the dream thread continues throughout this story. And they didn't know what they meant. They didn't know how to interpret it. And Genesis 40, verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? And then they told him, we had dreams. We don't know how to interpret them. He interpreted the dreams. But instead of talking about what happens next, I want to talk about this verse that I just read. Genesis 40, chapters, or Genesis chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. He saw fellow prisoners who were in prison with him who looked like they were having a bad day. And he said, why do you look so sad today? And when I see that moment in his life, it really challenges me. Because like I say, I would be the guy that if you try to have me as a slave unjustly, obviously, I'm not. I'm not going to just go along with it. I'm not going to pretend like everything's okay. I'm not going to do a good job. And then if you throw me in prison on top of that, I'm not going to be the model prisoner. I'm also not going to be walking around to other prisoners going, man, you seem really upset today. What's going on? Because I'm upset too. And I'm <laughs> we're all upset. We're all in prison, obviously. But what Joseph was doing and what I think that we all have the opportunity to practice, because that's kind of a weird thought at first, right? Like, what is there relatable between me and a guy who was sold into slavery, thrown in prison, and, you know, who knows what happens next, right? He doesn't. He's in the midst of this, and all he knows is that his life has taken multiple turns for the worst. And at every moment where he had to feel like, man, there's nowhere to go from here but up, things go down and down and down until he finds himself in a prison looking at his fellow prisoners and checking in on how they're doing. So that little moment was something that I started thinking about because I, I believe that each of us, obviously our story is different from Joseph's, but in some ways it's not, right? Because we all know what it feels like to feel like we're being kicked while we're down, to feel like life took a turn that we never would have expected 
and that we feel is totally unfair and we don't really know how to handle it. And what Joseph did when life presented him with that moment is he was going around and he was encouraging and doing ministry, for lack of a better term, to the people that were in a similar circumstance that he was in. And when I started thinking about that, I started thinking about some of the parallels that I've seen in my own life to those moments of that in prison moment, right? That's not what it's looked like for me, but you get what I'm saying. We all have something where we're like, man, this is the low of the low. Like life can't get worse than this. And we have an opportunity in that moment to reach out to the people around us. And I started thinking about, for me, and maybe the reason I was assuming that Joseph spent some time wallowing and feeling sorry for himself is because that's what I do. And I've shared, if you've listened to, uh, especially in some of the earlier episodes of the podcast, I share about my health stuff that I deal with, that I feel spacey, brain fog, fatigued, lightheaded. I feel like I'm going to pass out all day, every day. I feel like I slept one hour the night before all the time. And probably three, four years into dealing with these symptoms all day, every day, um, I was still wallowing. I was still feeling sorry for myself and thinking about how this had ruined my life and thinking about how, you know, that there's, I wasn't even thinking like there's not a silver lining to this. I wasn't even thinking that there could have been a silver lining to it. And what eventually happened is God softened my heart and God kind of pushed me in the direction of starting to share a little bit of what I was going through with my health stuff. And I, I've mentioned this before in a previous episode, but every place that I spoke and I shared about what I was dealing with, whether it was to an audience of, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 people or whether it was to an audience of 20 people, somebody would come up afterwards and they would say, hey, I'm not dealing with what you're dealing with, but I'm dealing with something else. And what I found is that once I turned my focus, I mean, I'm not going to say, because I was still wallowing in the midst of while I was talking about it, but what I saw was that as I started to open up in my in-prison moment, right, to make this parallel to where Joseph found himself, that when I started to open up and not just look at me, but to start to notice, you know what? There's other people on this journey too. 
and their circumstances aren't exactly the same as mine, which was true for Joseph, right? These guys weren't sold into slavery and then wrongfully accused and find themselves in prison. But you know what? They're going through something that I can relate to. And so I'm going to reach out. I'm going to check in on how they're doing. And I found that as I started to share about this health journey that I was going through in churches and small groups and wherever I had the opportunity to share, I found that it gave the opportunity um, for me and whoever it was that came up to talk to me that was dealing with something in life. It gave us both the opportunity to encourage each other, to uplift each other, to do some ministry in the midst of our prison moment. And I think because I had been through that and I had experienced it, when I realized that on top of my health stuff, I was dealing with depression. And I I think it's related to just this extended time of not knowing what's wrong, not being able to figure it out. I think that's where it comes from. But I started talking about that a little bit. First, I did it one-on-one with people. And I found that there were a whole lot of people that were going through something similar but weren't going to be the first ones to bring it up in the conversation. And it gave me the chance to talk with a lot of people and check up on a lot of people later and say, hey, how's it going? How's, how are you dealing with what we're both going through together? Here's a couple things that helped me a little bit. Here's a few things that didn't help me at all. And we had the opportunity, instead of looking around and saying, you know what, here I am in the midst of an awful situation where I feel like I got kicked while I was already down, and life just sucks. So I'm not going to really worry about what's going on with the people around me. I'm going to just focus in on me. We, we can do that. We often do do that. And I don't, I don't want to act like I never do that now, like I'm past that phase because I'm not. I still find myself wallowing some days. A lot of days, I guess, would be a better way to say that. But what I find encouragement toward in Joseph's story is in the midst of pain, in the midst of worst case scenarios we are provided with this opportunity to reach out to the people around us and what I've found for me personally I don't know if this is going to be the same way that everybody experiences this but what I've found is that I share with when I share with people what I'm going through physically and emotionally and all the different complexities and challenges that come along with that, what it does to my relationships with people, what it does to my relationship with my wife, how all of this plays out all over the place in my life. As I share that with people and as we get a chance to relate on things that not everyone can relate with us on, 
what I find is there's, I don't know, for lack of a better word, I guess, uh, some redemption of that, what felt like needless and unnecessary and totally worthless pain and suffering that I was going through. I find that it gives meaning. And I'm not saying, because this isn't how I personally feel, I'm not saying that I'm going through this or you're going through what you're going through because then you have a chance to do something good out of it or so that you'll have the chance to do something good out of it. But what I'm saying is part of life is going through tough stuff. Part of life is unfair things that happen to us, unfair things that people do to us, unfair things that just flukily happen to us. And what I think is if we follow Joseph's example and in the midst of these prison moments, if we don't allow our pain, our suffering, our unfair situation that we're in the midst of, if we don't allow it to be totally meaningless because in the midst of what we're dealing with, we choose to reach out to the people around us who are in similar circumstances, I believe that we can find meaning in it. Now, like I've mentioned before, you know, there's some people that will say, hey, I've learned so much. I've been able to help so many people because of what I've gone through that I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I've mentioned before, and this is still true for me, um, I would trade it. I'm not one of those people. So I, I don't want you to hear that I'm saying, oh, I've got this, like, you know, to me sometimes it sounds a little bit naive. Like, hey, everything's great even though, Everything isn't great, but it's fine. It's big picture. It's awesome. And this is totally worth it. And I would go through it all again. I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever be there. Maybe one day. But I want to let you know that what I've found in the midst of the not knowing, in the midst of the feeling like this is unfair, in the midst of spending some days wallowing, what I've found is that as I reach out to the people around me, I can take this pain and suffering and frustration that has no meaning. That's how I interpret it. That has no meaning. And I can connect with other people who are going through tough stuff too. And what I find is that I find not, I don't know, not a meaning to the pain, but I find meaning in the midst of it. I don't know if that is communicating what I'm hoping that it is, but I, I hope that you get what I'm saying. Because what I do know is that every single one of us finds ourselves in the midst of something. And we have the opportunity to not let that something go to waste, to not let it be just pain for the sake of pain, because we can use it 
like Joseph did, to connect with the people around us and to point them toward God. It's a tough, tough thing, and it's a high, huge calling. It feels like an unbearable burden to try to carry. But what we find is that when we do this, when we open up, when we let other people see the vulnerability, the tough stuff we're going through, the heaviness, what they see is, wow, that's okay to talk about. And we find in those moments just maybe just a little bit of healing. And I think when we do that, we're seeing God at work in spite of our circumstances and in the midst of the tough, tough stuff that we're going through. And I want to invite you and I want to invite me to start practicing that more and more and more.